So I'm Joanna Fidalgo and I think I've done a lot of stuff. So I'll say I am a powertrain engineer, turn powertrain strategist, turn body and chassis tra- strategist, turn business operations and some point turn writing between. <laughs> So I've hit record and mm-hmm. that's it, away we go. But it's a casual chat, so I don't need to have any structure. Yeah, cool. So we can just carry on. I mean, we were just chatting about another podcast, so we'll, we'll not carry on with that bit because yes. that's not what we're here for. <laughs> just This is Joe's recommendations of podcasts. Listen to this wild story. It's all our true crime. Yeah. Um, but there's no, I'm not a list or anything like that, so we can just have a casual chat yeah. and you can share what you do and we'll go from there. So... The only question is, who are you and what do you do? So I'm Joanna Fidalgo, and I think I've done a lot of stuff. So I'll say I am a powertrain engineer, turn powertrain strategist, turn body and chassis tra- strategist, turn business operations, and some point turn writing between. <laughs> uh, something like that, I would say. Well, you were telling me about how you ended up being somewhat of a writer the other day weren't you because you write for the intercooler mm-hmm. um which for those who don't know is like an online only magazine for less, lack of a better word mm-hmm. but it's done in a bif- bit of a different style to most digital mags um but yeah the way that that happened just seemed a bit of a oh this has happened now kind of thing yeah it was it was a bit of a fluke really and um just give everyone a bit of the context of the story so i think i was in bed either i can't remember if it's covid or a kidney infection or something but i was somewhat delirious as i can only describe it and i was on twitter as people do when they're bored just crawling and um i remember someone having an engineering question about tires and something in me is like i need to i need to answer this question i've got an answer for this question in a book from uni like and I remember getting up from bed, still feverish and stumbling about, walking into uh, my partner's Al's um, office where my books are. And he was looking at me like, are you feeling okay? I was like, there's someone on Twitter and I need to reply to this question. I was like, are you, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I grabbed the book, took a picture of the graph I needed and I answered the question and that was it. And didn't really think anything more about it. And the person message back and saying, it's like, oh, that's cool. Um, have you thought about writing? Are you an engineer? And I was like, and once again, I was still delirious. Like, no, no, no. I was like, this is not my writing. Yeah, yeah. Is... So <laughs> you I can... thought he asked if you'd written the book. Yeah, like, I can give you the name of the book. It's fine. I just completely dismissed it. And I didn't, once again, didn't think anything of it. Until a few days later, Al got a call from Andrew Frankel, one of the... I guess one of the founders from the Intercooler. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, so Al, this, this girl, Joanna, are you a partner? Do, do you know if she would like to write for her? <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, it was, it was kind of a little bit like uh, one of the situations kind of just happened. Ha- yeah, like it was, the world just presented it to yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, I had written in the past, um, never very seriously, never really for money which looking back at probably the situations where I shouldn't have done because 
people promise you, oh, yeah, just do a couple and then we'll pay you after that. Yeah, and, yeah. You know how and it is. Money never and, comes. Yeah, it's the exposure and all of that. <laughs> and looking back, maybe there's a few things I shouldn't have done for exposure because they actually cost me money. Um, but, yeah, it kind of all aligned very nicely. Um, obviously, they asked me to see a few of my texts and we did a few tests. Um, but, yeah, I've been wor- working with them for a couple of years now, I think, and it's, it's gone really well. Because it's somewhat evolved from you being an engineer specialist for them to a bit more of a you as a person and what you're up to in your, your travels. Yeah, it started very much as me writing engineer articles. Um, it's a bit of a tricky space for me because of my job. So I've always worked for OEMs. That's my real job, as I, as I, if I can call it that. <laughs> so I'm always a bit limited about what I can write about or what I can share my opinion yeah. on. And there's a lot of things I love to write about, but I can't because then that would look a certain way um, you're almost spilling industry secrets, kind Exactly. Of. And even if it's not really an industry secret for my OEM, people say, oh, Joanna, OE, uh, engineer for this OEM, I said this, so they must be doing this. Yeah. Or an insight for an employee. is like, I can't really be in that position. So I can't really write about new cars. I can't really comment on lots of new technology. I kind of just need to find a niche. And engineering was fine, and I enjoyed writing about it, but after a while... A few of the topics just felt a bit dry. Mm. And I think in my life, even though I train as an engineer and I work as an engineer, I always felt like I'm not a very good engineer in the actual <laughs> sense of the word. I don't love dismantling things and I don't love the detail. It's more like you're a, a on the science-y, yeah, I love theoretical side of it exactly, more than the I love screwing things together. I love the problem-solving aspect of it. Yeah. But I like almost the human problem-solving side of it, like bringing different people from different departments mm-hmm. together. I like the strategy side. I, I quite enjoy that. So sometimes there are a few topics that, even for me, they felt very dry and I just couldn't write about them. Yeah. And after a while, it just evolved, as you mentioned, to being Joe's Diary. Uh, just a bit about my adventures, what I do, my cars. And... That works so much better for me. It means I don't need to spend days and days researching, which was already hard when you've got another job to focus on. Yeah, of course. But yeah, it just makes it a lot more enjoyable for me and hopefully for the readers as well. I guess it gives a bit more of an insight into you as a person as well, doesn't it? And because of mm-hmm. what you do outside of work and the social circles that you guys hang around in, it works quite nicely because it's not like it's... Joe has a nine to five, and then that's as much of a, an interest in cars that you have. You you do interesting things outside of work that are I worth try. talking about. Um, <laughs> I like, try. For those that don't know, Al is Al Clark, who's been a previous guest on here. Um, so it's it's not like you're hanging around with normal non-car people, for lack of a better better phrase. It, it is you were at Goodwood this weekend, and you got Al goes to the Nurburgring, and you've got your Suzuki Cappuccino and your motorbikes and it's a little bit more than the layperson in terms of... It's not like, oh, Joe's Diaries, oh, I had crumpets on Tuesday <laughs> and then I went to the shops on Wednesday. It's got a little bit more... Sort there of, there are definitely that. days like that, but I think <laughs> oh, we're very, both very lucky that first we both enjoy doing what we do. And there's still times where Al's like, 
like this morning, I was like, oh, I want to go to these events. Like, I don't feel these events. So you go and you do your thing and yeah. I'll do my thing. But we're very lucky that we both enjoy doing these things together and we enjoy traveling together and seeing cars together and enjoying cars together. Um, so yeah, I think we're very lucky in that aspect. Yeah. Because you guys were in Tokyo not that long ago, weren't you? Yeah. we For, Was it the auto show? Um, actually, I, I've been to Japan twice this year. Right. <laughs> so the first time I was supposed to go to the Tokyo um, auto show and I didn't actually make it to the Tokyo auto show. Of course. <laughs> Went all the what way happened? there. And then decided uh, to do other stuff instead. But I still did lots of car-related Did you get to go to like the, the underground car park meets and stuff like that? Yeah, and we did uh, like secret underground car park meets. I had this unreal experience of going first on an Arak 7 and then on a very heavily modified NSX and do the proper one-gun midnight oh, nice. racing through tunnels and stuff, which is like, yeah, I'm uh, not in my wildest dreams. <laughs> it's like being in a video game. It, it generally felt like that. Yeah. I was like... The, I, the noise is just in my head still. It's just Yeah, that's tinnitus. You, <laughs> your ears are just ringing. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. Um, yeah, and then I came back. Cause unfortunately, Al couldn't make it to that, that one trip. And that was only five days. So like a month later, or rather two months later, we just said, we're going to go back. And we had a slightly different experience because we actually did touristy yeah. stuff, which I loved. Um, but still a lot of car-related Mm-hmm. Stuff which was fantastic once again. It, it, it's one of those like bucket list trips to go, though, isn't it? Like, if anybody's a car enthusiast, Tokyo's on the list of oh, yeah. places to visit as a car enthusiast. And we're sat in your living room at the minute, and there's a big Tokyo poster <laughs> yes. right opposite me, um, and a Monaco one, which again yeah. is another car. <laughs> like, if you're into cars, these are the places that are the landmarks of where to visit for car yeah, culture, aren't is- they? It was so silly for me because even the first trip, the the five days one, usually you don't go to Japan for five days because that doesn't feel like a long enough amount of time yeah. for you to discover Tokyo or Japan. But it, that just happened to be while I was between jobs. I had some extra time off, which I usually wouldn't have. And I generally thought it's a bucket list item. I'm only going to get to do this once. Yeah, yeah. You didn't know that in a couple of months you'd be doing it twice. Yes, and then I went again. And that was a bit silly. It definitely cost me a lot of money, but the memories are just... That's what you get money for, is to spend it on doing stuff like this. Yeah, you, you can't take it with you. You might as well use exactly. it to enjoy the, the journey. And I, I really wanted to enjoy it with Al as well. Yeah. So tell me about kind of how you... Effectively, have ended up where you are, because you're Portuguese, aren't you? Yeah. So let's go from... I'm guessing, was uni in Portugal or was it here? Uh, I did a degree in Portugal in automotive engineering. Yeah. And then I moved to the UK, uh, I thought, for a year to do an MSc in motorsport engineering at Brooks, Oxford Brooks. And the plan was, I'll come for a year, I'll go back. Uh, I knew exactly, I had a partner at the time in Portugal, I had a boyfriend, so I thought, I'm going to go back, we're going to get married, I'm going to go work at this Volkswagen plant in Lisbon. Yeah. That's my life. Set. <laughs> and then, spoiler alert, I haven't really left since I came. Um, so I finished my degree in Portugal. In between, I had my first experience working because I had some time before I moved to the UK. So I work at the PSA plant right. in Portugal. And I thought I was going to hate it because it, the, the, that plant builds 
Peugeot Partners and Citroën Berlingos. Right, okay. The... I was like, those are not real cars. It's going to be boring. They're just fans. I loved it. I love manufacturing. I fell in love with it. I absolutely loved the job. And I kind of like reframed my mindset a little bit. I was like, maybe I want to do manufacturing. Yeah. I was going to say when I grow up. But... <laughs> and then I moved to the UK and I was doing this motorsport MSC, which was great, but it was very focused on vehicle dynamics, lap time simulation. And yeah. there's very little about engines because usually that, bit's that bit is set. Sorted, yeah. So I was like, well, actually, I missed the engine side of things. So for my dissertation, I decided I was going to go outside of motorsport and did my dissertation on emissions. <laughs> so setting this little mini engine um, on the engine dyno, measuring the emissions, blah, blah, blah. Not very interesting anymore. And after I finished, because I had really enjoyed the manufacturing experience and because my first car was... A new Mini. Yeah. And I love Minis. I was part of the forums. I was like going to all the events. And I was in Oxford. I thought, well... well they've got Mini there. Yeah, right? I'm going to go to the, for the graduate scheme at the Mini plant. And I got in. I remember at the time uh, when I was offered a position, they said on the phone, are oh, you going to do, be doing integration and validation? Right. And in my head, fresh out of uni, I was like, I've got no clue what that is. Sounds <laughs> great. Let's do it. Yeah. This will be a challenge and an adventure. Let's yeah, it's going to be something. something. I'm going to yeah. enjoy it, whatever it is. And then I remember my first week in, um, they put me in a camouflaged car. They drive me to Millbrook right. and say, so this is what we do. We test cars. I'm like, sweet, I get paid to do this. <laughs> yeah. Go drive around Millbrook really quickly, please. Like, you literally, much. when you're like 21 and your job is... Going with all your other work friends, we're all 20-something. I think the oldest one was like 27 at the time. Yeah. Go to Millbrook and drive cars. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> it's, it's not a bad way to get into a first <sighs> job within the automotive. Like, was there a lot of stuff that came after the fun bit that was like, oh, actually, this is oh, yeah. kind of boring technical yeah, there was, data? And... There was lots of picks and troughs with that job as well, because you were testing a lot of cars. Yeah ahead of launching a new car but then you don't launch a car for a few years yeah and yeah there's there's new calibrations there's facelifts and stuff but there's times where it gets a bit boring and you're more doing problem solving with the production line Mm -hmm. but there's times where like you're just like looking staring at your at your laptop and thinking it's like i wish something went wrong so i've got something to do no i know that i used to find with a previous job where it was most interesting when you're fighting fires. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, I feel worthwhile yeah. now. I've got some value in You've this situation. You've got a situation. purpose, yeah. But yeah, it was a really good job. And I think I was very lucky that I had really good colleagues. Mm. Um, the environment in manufacturing was at times a bit toxic. Right. Mostly for women. At least that was my experience. So that sometimes made it a bit difficult as I said earlier, you need to just get into like MMA or something and then it will really empower you to feel like <laughs> you've leveled the playing field with anyone. That'd be an awkward conversation you. with each other. Yeah. So what happened? Well, he was really rude <laughs> and so I just knocked him out because just that's an equivalent. Just kicked him in the face. Yeah. Yeah, those times I certainly felt like I wish I could have done that. Um, but yeah, it was a weird one. I think it was the... F- 
maybe one of the first times where I like really felt it. I think as a young woman, people and working on an, in an engineering um, subject and working, I was specifically working with powertrain. Mostly the older people. I'm not saying it's just older people. That's just being a bit generic, but mm. mostly the older people, probably because they weren't used to seeing as many women. Um, they always expect me to fail. That right. was the standard. And then you can prove their... Like, and I had to prove them wrong. Yeah. So every time I was trying to do my job, I obviously I always wanted to do the best job anyway, but I felt like the pressure was on me to prove them wrong. Mm. While if there was a new graduate starting and he was like a young lad, people already expect him to know those things. It's almost like, what's the... Again, it puts that pressure on that person as well because sometimes they would be afraid of asking for help. Because yeah, yeah. Everyone assumes you know. Did you find that about cars? a male counterpart would often get more leniency if they did make mistakes, though? Yeah, like yeah there'd be less judgment if oh well, he's new, he's got to learn. Yeah, so, oh, he's got same. to learn. Well, for you, it's like see, we told you she couldn't do it. Like yeah, for me, it was sometimes a bit of a joke, or yeah. even when you did something really well, I was like, yeah, but trying to, she's okay for a girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, you drive okay for a girl. It's like, never, like, she drives well or something. She was like, for a it's girl. always for, yeah. Which is such a stupid thing. <laughs> like, it makes so little sense. And it's purely because of this inbuilt misogyny. Yeah. That's, it's come through, the, and it, it's getting weaker, and we are getting better. Yeah. It's just so daft. Like, she drives well for a girl. It's such a stupid thing. Yeah. Because... It's not something that requires any genetic difference to yeah. do well. It's purely about how how well can you press pedals with your feet and turn a steering wheel. Yeah, is, yeah. Is nothing, there's no advantage to me over you to be able to do that. Yeah, and for people who are, she, well, she drives off for a girl, it's such a stupid thing to say. Yeah, it was quite annoying because, like, once again, like, as I said, like, we used to go to Millbrook quite often. There's so many jokes about try not to curb any wheels. and like, Oh, yeah. Well, I never did. Why would you say that? Yeah, yeah. The the fun thing about this story is I know of a car journalist who's quite well-known, and I think we might have talked about it when he was on the podcast. And his first time at Millbrook, he put a car into a tree. Yeah. And it's like, it happens, but if that had been you, they'd be like, right, she's never driving a car again because yeah. she can't be trusted. Whereas for him, it was like, it's par for the course, off we go, crack on with the next thing. On the positive side, though, when we have visitors and they put them in the car with me, I took extra pleasure of doing the the, the jump on the fi- yeah, on the yeah. uh, hill route of Millbrook, and just Scaring hear them, them squeal <laughs> and they look at me. That yeah. was like that was fun because they didn't expect it for me, so it was good. It gives you that moment of I'm fighting their expectations, yeah, because I know that I'm good and they don't because they're inbuilt is to say that I won't be. So yeah. when you get to kind of challenge that in their face, and like, I think I remember a colleague of mine as well a German colleague obviously they're very direct mm. um, I've heard several funny things from my German colleagues including you eat like a man are you pregnant you've got very heavy steps for a woman <laughs> Those kinds of things. but one of God. them was like oh you're lucky because you're a woman because people will remember you right and in a way he was right so if I did something right people would remember me yeah but also put the pressure, like, I can't really mess up. If you get it wrong, up. then they remember <laughs> that it's you Because people will remember it. me and never let, let me live, live this up. Yeah. It's such a, like, a fine 
line to walk on, yeah. isn't it? And do you find that having the added factor of you being from um, Portugal added to that as well? Because not only are you a woman in a very male orientated or dominated is the better word position, you're also not a native. So a lot of the nuance of like language and things like that is probably quite difficult. Yeah, I think there was times where it was it was hard. Almost again, this is a very difficult line to navigate. There's many times in my life where I, and once again, maybe through imposter syndrome, but mm. also maybe through not really being sure, but there's a lot of times like, am I just your diversity bingo card? Yeah, because I'm a woman, I mean. I'm an engineer, and I'm foreign, so I tick the three boxes. It's yeah, like, like, oh, you... we don't have to get three different staff, we can just have this one. Yeah, exactly. Like, And, and to be honest, the... It's interesting. Obviously, I've got an accent. And, and yeah, I think people might have picked up on that by now. Yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes in. But oh, it, I hadn't even noticed. It's really interesting. Something I didn't really think about until recently is for the writing. Nobody can tell. No one can tell. And then people meet me in person for the first time and they look at me weird. Like, I didn't expect you to sound like that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I can understand that, though, because if, it, if yeah. someone's only ever seen written work... Yeah, and we don't write phonetically unless you're Irving Welsh. Then, so he's the man behind the um, train spotting books. Yeah, and they're all written in phonetic Scottish. So, if you have you read them, no, I haven't. So, if you read them, the way that it's written, you hear Scot- the Scottish accent. Oh, really? So you end up if you read them in like one continuous yeah. block. You kind of come away with a little bit of a Scottish twang because <laughs> you just spent a lot of time just Imagine that going through Portuguese Scottish Scottish accents. Yeah, so I I read them when I worked night shifts, so I just I bought all of the books that I could yeah. and just read through them all. So then I just had Scottish phrases in my head all the time. <laughs> so then something would happen and I'd just say something that was so not me because yeah. I picked it up from this book and it took months for them to leave my like <laughs> vernacular. Um, fantastic. But unless you start writing the way that you speak, nobody's yeah. ever going to pick up on it. But it was interesting. It was actually not that long ago. I actually experienced that in a, in a way I hadn't experienced in a while. So actually, I was already writing and yeah. I applied for a job. I was looking for a bit of a job change. And thank God it didn't happen. <laughs> At the time, I was a bit annoyed, but... On, in hindsight, yeah. In hindsight, it was much better things to come but I applied for a job and at the time I was wondering do I want to do PR and comms I was a bit frustrated with my job at the time because of the work politics and all of that I thought maybe I need to do something different I enjoy writing maybe PR and comms is the way to go glad it wasn't I wouldn't be no good at it but I remember going for an interview with a well-established PR company, which I'm not going to name. And one of the first things they say is like, oh, yeah, but you know, if you work for us, you need to write proper English. Like you need to spell tires with a Y, not with an I, like the Americans. <laughs> and I was like, why would I do that? And like, if it was Al going to that interview with his they very posh it. accent, yeah. would they say the same thing to him? And it's just... I'm very glad they didn't hire me. <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a workplace that would have constantly been judging you yeah. with a finer tooth coat. It was just a bit of a weird one. I'm like, why are you saying this to me? 
The, the weird thing is you picked up your English from being in England as well. It's not yeah. like you learned English by being in America. It was in England that you picked up most of your... Yeah, to be fair, at some point in my life, I, I, I maybe still at times, I still have a bit of an American twang. Right. But that was because I dated an American for six of my years living in the, in the UK. Right, okay. <laughs> so... So, yeah, you're going to pick it I, I remember I was in school, or it was not long after school, someone asked me if I'd lived in America. And I, I hadn't, I've never been to America, but while I was going through quite a, a difficult time, my, like, escape was just to watch loads of films mm -hmm. and TV, and I had a projector in my room. So I had, like, a little... We'd, we'd built some double garages at my dad's house, and we'd converted one into, a, like, an apartment. So I lived in there on my own. So yeah. I had, like, a little kitchenette and a bedroom and a shower room all to myself. So I had this projector that just projects onto the wall. So every night I'd watch films and TV and stuff because it was an escape from yeah. a difficult time. So I just picked up so much Americanized language from that. I didn't really have a social life. So I was either at work or I was an accountant. So I spent all my time mm -hmm. in silence or I was watching... I numbers. Yeah. And, or I was watching American TV yeah. and film. And so I went, did you live in America for a while? Because you say so many American sounding things. It's like... No, no, it's literally just from yeah. watching so much American stuff. I, when I worked for UPS, I contacted a customer. I was like, oh, I'm just reaching out to like, let you know who I am. And so he was like, we're not in America. We don't say reaching out here. I was like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. what, what would you rather I say? Like, I'm really sorry that I used a phrase that you didn't like. And it's purely because of all that influence from culture. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. My, my accent is still one of the things that even this day... I'm quite conscious about mm. and it affects me in my work life like if I'm having a good day it's fine but sometimes if I'm having a bit of a once again self-imposter day yeah uh, self-imposter imposter syndrome <laughs> there, okay, there are times in meetings where I'll be like mid-sentence I'll just think people think I'm an idiot just because you've got a, a no one can understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying the right words. I'm not pronouncing it right. And then suddenly it's just like it derails you. It, it derails like because my, suddenly my train of thought is on something else. Yeah. And it's so annoying when that happens. And I, at some point in my life as well, tried to do accent reduction courses, which went terribly wrong. I think that was during lockdown as well. How do they work? Do they try and help you with how to like? say specific letters in words and things so they send you like there's a book and the book has a lot a lot of it's really interesting in a way but the book has like lots of pictures of where like when you're saying a certain sound where your tongue should be in your mouth yeah and they make you repeat it several times or record yourself and then you send the recordings and you'll oh wow they'll that's, comment that's on quite it. intense then yeah it's quite intense but i remember sometimes like i'm doing so well but but then I would like tell Al's like oh I think I made some progress and once again like he's he's got quite a good British accent and it's like oh yes to practice with me and I would and I was like no no that's not why you say it <laughs> and I feel like so demotivated because there's like almost a theat theatrical side to it. yeah proper British English I, I yeah I know what you mean. Like that, I str really struggle with, and I just. I think it's difficult do as it. well because the English dialect is so diverse. Yeah. Like just the difference between where we are right now to where I grew up mm -hmm. to where my other half grew up, 
three wildly different ways of speaking yeah. English and we're within an hour of each place so it's it's a hard one to try and like incorporate yourself into yeah. fortunately the person that you live with has quite a good proper English accent so if you inherited any of his oh, mannerisms you'd be you'd be on I've been struggling <laughs> <laughs> but you'd be on the right line of what people expect from an English accent um, whereas if you spent any time where I'm from People down south can't understand half the stuff that we say. Yeah. Because the the way that we pronounce letters and words and things like that is very different. So the easiest example is I say bath and my other half says bath. Yeah. And it's the same word and we live, well, we're two hours apart and that's like a completely different yeah. way of pronouncing words. So if, if you come to the UK and your experience is like dependent on what part of the country you're in, you're going to have a very different accent no matter what. But people need to stop being so judgy about it because you can be from England and have a very different accent yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, to be honest, like, no one really, apart from that interview that I had with someone... Yeah. But once again, maybe if I had a different accent, it would say the same thing. So. Yeah. But usually it's not something that people even comment on. It's the pressure I put on myself. Yeah, we're our own voice cr- critics now. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people... I became a bit conscious about it. And once again, there's nothing wrong when people do this. But a lot of times, like, I talk to someone and then I'm waiting for a reply back. And instead of like, oh, where are you from? Yeah. And it's like, you just ignore everything I say. Yeah, like I, was, I said something to you. Because you're curious. <laughs> yeah, and then they're like, I'm disengaged with whatever you were just saying because yeah, you sound different. Because you sound exotic. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, people like, people, it's normal for people to be curious and everything but sometimes like oh so even though i've been here for a very long time you can still tell immediately that i'm not from here well i can understand how that must be like make you feel like an outsider even though you've been here for so long yeah but at the same time it's like people could be curious like wouldn't i ask the same thing someone had like an american accent do you ever find that when you meet people from different parts of this country um because your inherent knowledge of the different accents might be different like how how easy do you pick up on the differences? Um, there's some accents that are definitely a lot harder for me to understand. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Although mine has softened a lot. No, I've you're lived exactly fine. I think I struggled with it a lot more when I first moved in. And that's why while I was studying Oxford Brooks, funny enough, most of the students were not from the UK. Yeah. At least on that particular masters, they were all from the US, from Japan, from Germany, from all places of Europe. So everyone already had an accent. Yeah. And then most of the English speaking people I used to hang out with, they were the Americans. And that's why I picked up so many. Yeah, yeah, you're the victim of your own circle of friends. So actually, when I first noticed was when I started working at Mini, which was actually my first real experience of proper people from. Oxford speaking to me, which was again, you argue that probably Oxford spoken though. Probably spoken, but still, there's some people like I didn't. I have not understood a word of what you said, and there's some <laughs> colleagues like it took me like three months to understand wow. what they're saying. It's it's quite interesting as I've never lived abroad, so I've never had this experience. So. We've got accents in Portugal as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the thing I always find really difficult is for people that are in places that have mm. like dialects, regional dialects. Yeah. If I was to go to, say, Spain, like Catalonia and Madrid have very different mm-hmm. dialects, 
but my ear isn't sensitive enough to the language to yeah. notice that. It's more of a, I can just about figure out what word you've said yeah. and kind of use that as my reference point rather than the small nuances like the bath and bath thing. Yeah. You have to kind of know quite a lot of the language oh, yeah. and the pronunciation to understand that there's a difference between the way I just said those two words. So it must be such a, a journey to go through where you kind of like, right, I'm figuring out what people are saying. Oh, now I'm figuring out the differences between oh, yeah. how they say it. Uh, I remember at some point of my career as well, I lived in Germany for a bit yeah. when I was working for BMW. And I studied Munich and then I went to Leipzig and everyone in Munich is like, oh, you're not going to understand a word of what anyone in Leipzig says. They speak weird. And I moved to Leipzig. Well, yeah, I can't understand a word of what they're saying, but I also did not yeah, understand yeah. a word I'm of just, what they I just don't speak German. That's the trouble. Yeah, yeah I still... Could be, I don't know, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you went to Mini from yep. your, your, it was a master's that you did, wasn't it? Yeah, after my master's, um, yeah. And then how long were you at Mini for? Uh, six years. It's a decent amount of time. Yeah, but um, I think at some point, and kind of just on what we spoke, I said, well, if I want to progress from this job, hmm. there wasn't really much room for progression within my department right. and mainly in Oxford. So I either go to Germany, which once again, I don't speak German, mm-hmm. or I'll have to move into something different. I was looking maybe a project manager role or something. Something. I was very curious about the business side of things. And part of my job was to deal with for testing cost reduction measures. Right. And some of the ideas that came from Munich of things that we wanted to do to our cars to reduce the cost of the cars I found them ridiculous it's like why would you ask me to do that I spent so many years trying to get this car perfect and now you want to make it worse yeah but after a while I was like I sat on it and I was like obviously the people in Munich they're not idiots they're much more like they're really clever um so for them to be suggesting this there has to be a reason behind it yeah so it's not them that wrong is me I don't understand it right so I said I want to understand why so actually I negotiated with my manager to go back to uni so I did a master's in business part-time so you've got two masters yeah <laughs> and that was fun because I remember at the time a lot of my colleagues were still doing their degrees while they were working so I told my one of my managers like can I go back to school and my manager's like well we already got a master." sorry, we, we can't, we don't have the budget to fund you right. to do another master's because of, we can't just justify that. And I was like, oh, so the issue is the money? Yeah, we just don't have the budget. It's like, okay, cool. So if I pay for it, you'll give me the time off to do it then. <laughs> and he kind of like looked at me, he's like, I don't really know what to say. I guess I, yes. You caught him in a trap, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of negotiated my way to still work full time. Yeah. But attend classes a couple of times a week. So I did a master's in business business management and marketing. And I really fell in love with strategy while I was studying that. Really, really enjoyed it. And I decided maybe that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And just had a look online and a job in powertrain strategy came up I was like oh I love those two words powertrain and strategy fantastic and this was with JLR right I was like I've got zero experience on this particular role but I have a master's now (laughs) but well let's give it a go 
And I was lucky enough, I, I went to the interview and it was a really weird feeling because I sat for the interview. They really asked me some very difficult questions that I, some of them I didn't have the answers for. And I got out of it. I thought, I'm not going to get the job. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the interview, which is a really weird thing. So it's like, I've ruined myself in this interview, but it was a lot of fun in the process. I've ruined myself in this interview, but I really enjoyed like the process and the questions and thinking through them. But I'm not going to get the job. But I did get the job. Obviously. So it was nice. Um, and at first, I think there was a lot of learning because I never done it before. Um, but I really, really, really enjoyed that job. It was so much fun. And I think I really grew a lot in that job and by the time I finished I was the the strategic lead for Range Rover and Range Rover Sport oh nice and basically I was doing all powertrain strategy for say at the time I think we're looking 2028 kind of timing yeah so what engines or motors if it's hybrid if it's EV what power what torque what we're gonna what marketing is gonna say and then I had to talk with marketing and emissions and everyone's like what countries are going to sell them and when we're going to launch then. them and are we going to fund them and are speaking to finance and doing all the strategy about all these launches and everything and i absolutely loved it it was so much fun and i did that for a bit i grew a lot in the role really enjoyed it and after a while it was actually my manager said i think you need to apply for a manager role right and I always thought, I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to manage people. Yeah. I like doing stuff on my own. I'm an introvert. I want to be part of the thing rather than I don't than want to tell people what to do. Yeah. I can't do that. But he eventually convinced me. There was a similar role as a um, commodity strategy manager in Body and Chassis. Right. Um, and he's like, you should apply for that. I was like, never done Body and Chassis. Don't want to be a manager. But I applied and I got the job. I was like, well, I guess we need to figure this out off. now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I actually really enjoyed being a manager. Right. I really enjoyed mentoring people, coaching people, helping them through um, the challenges and seeing them grow and having like the confidence to do more. And yes, once again, like really enjoy that role. But I think after a while... I was, and I, I did mention at some point I was looking for something different. I think after a while, it's getting just a bit stuck in the politics because obviously with strategy comes a lot of politics and you can argue the best case in the world, but yeah. at the end of the day, your decision might, or whatever you propose might still not be taken forward, which is fine. Yeah, that's how companies work, but sometimes it could be like a bit frustrating and there was a lot of the feeling that there's a lot of firefighting. And right. I think there's times I just wasn't enjoying the role. And there's nothing wrong with the role. I just think the role isn't right for me. Um, still happily doing it until I had a call one day. Out of the blue, um, I had a call from Julian Thompson. Right, yeah. Um, famous designer. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> if he, I don't think you'll hear this, but he's going to be like, oh, don't call me a famous design. But Julian is a lovely person. He's always been known 
for being a lovely person and a lovely boss for everyone that does work with him. And he had left JLR right. not uh, very long ago. And he was setting up a new design studio. And he called me because we actually met through the intercooler because we're both writers <laughs> there. So we actually never worked together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yes, I'm starting something new. And I know you haven't really ever done this job, but you want to work for me as head of business operations. I was like, sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a go. God. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. So your underlying kind of theme seems to be, I'll give it a go. Yeah. I've never done this before, but it sounds interesting. Let's have a go. And I've had this conversation with some of my managers for the years. Every time they ask me, what's your five to ten year plan? I'm like, do I look like someone that has had a plan ever in my life? Yeah. And very, yeah, I think the common theme is uncomfortable where I am now. Let's Time change to change that. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's do something different. And it's interesting because with all my career progression, I've always moved sideways and up. Mm-hmm. So I've always progressed, but to do something completely different that I've never done before. Um, and yeah, I've been enjoying that. But the issue is that when they ask me now, so what do you want to do next? I'm like, no idea. God knows. You just have to wait for that thing yeah, to pop up. Yeah, give me up. a few years and I'll figure it out. Yeah. Something will come up. So what are you doing? Like, what's your main kind of stuff that you're, you're up to at the minute then? So it might sound very boring to some people, but I do a lot of stuff like budget forecasts, um, the operation running of a design studio. So that could be trying to set up vendors, finding vendors or suppliers. Um, I do very boring things like trying to figure out R&D tax credits or supporting with uh, HR with hiring or um, basically anything that needs to be done, like from booking travel for someone or figuring out or everything that's a background process to get the, the studio to run. Yeah. Anything that's like a background thing that you don't think about. Mm-hmm. That's you. That's me. And I... <laughs> And I think my main goal from the very beginning is because I'm working in a design studio and I can barely draw a car, if you ask me, I had to make myself as invaluable as possible in my job. And I was like, I want to do it so well that no one knows what I do yeah. because that means everything's running smoothly in the background. Not there yet, because <laughs> it's all very new. <laughs> but hopefully that, that's my goal. But that, that makes you a, a key part of the team. Like if if you stop all the screws will come loose and then people will realize but the flip side of that is if you do your job well and no one notices yeah no one knows what i do nobody (laughs) kind of holds that value until something stops yeah um and it must be a bit of a well do they realize how much i do because my main motivation is to enable the team to do the job and as long as they can do their job then i'm part of that team yeah like and, and to be fair, one of the good things I've experienced in the current environment I'm in is that everyone's so supportive. And even like within two months of starting, I was presenting to our vice president oh, amazing. in the US. Yeah. And I was I looked around. I'm the most junior uh, in terms of age and the only woman in, in that room. And I was like, 
that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that must have been such a rewarding moment for yeah, you. Yeah, it was fantastic. And it's, yeah, it was a very key moment for me as well. Oh, amazing. So outside of work then, let's go to Joe's Diaries because this is where the car enthusiast side of things come in because it's not just your everyday kind of commuter stuff. You have the Suzuki Cappuccino. Yeah. You still got the E46? Yeah, I haven't seen that car for about four months now, but yeah, I think I still have it. What's happened to it? So it went to have uh, some detailing done. Right. And it turned into a a light restoration project. Right. So it went in for a car wash and now it's got no bits. Yeah, last time I saw it, there's bits missing and there's like, it was in flat grey because it's like being painted and stuff, so God knows. So what are you driving at the minute then? Oh, wow. You're uh, not daily in the cappuccino, are you? Oh, no. Are you ready for this? Right. I've got a Seat Ateca. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's a company car. It's my temporary company car, in my right. sense. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> but it's the most NPC car ever. Yeah, yeah. You definitely blend into traffic. But it's fantastic, because you blend into traffic. So no one... If someone gets angry at you... You can vanish. They forget what you look like immediately. Yeah. Even Al. I've had this car for about, like, seven months. <laughs> Al still doesn't know what it looks like. <laughs> it will be like walking past park class. Is your car? No. Is this your car? No. Is your car? No. Yeah, like I've got to click the thing so that it flashes at you. But, I have that with the, we've oh. got a little Skoda Rapid, which is it's basically a Polo Estate. Is it Rapid? It's a 1.6 TDI. It's, <laughs> as rapid as, it's as fast as a 1.6 TDI. Um, because it's quite curvy, it may be a little bit more aerodynamic. But it is, it's a proper blend-in car. Yeah. The flip side of it is because Northamptonshire police all have Skodas, it looks like an unmarked police car. Oh, nice. <laughs> so people either leave you well alone or they forget who you are immediately. Yeah. Which is quite nice because I'm used to being in the GT86, which is like full livery. And yeah. if I upset someone, they can send me an email on the website. Like That's the thing, you're not recognisable. Yeah, you can just blend in and disappear. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's quite nice. The other fun thing is because if you know how to drive, you can really embarrass people in performance cars in a very like non-assuming yeah. car. And where we live is all countryside. And the the roads around there are really good driving roads. And I've, like, embarrassed at like, Golf R's and M3s and this little Skoda. <laughs> yeah. So get out of the way! It's so much more fun yeah. to be in something that people don't expect. I don't think I can embarrass anyone on my set. I reckon you could, given the right bit of road. It's that car, like, there's so much lag on the throttle <laughs> that when I'm, like, at the roundabout, I was like, oh, it's clear, I can go. By the time I've gone, there's a, like, yeah, a you're, lorry you're coming for me. yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> so is the the attack is like it's the golf size thing, isn't it? Can't or is it be. a mini SUV? I'm gonna have to Google it. It tries to be like he's gonna look like a very NPC car. It tries to be an SUV, right? Oh, it's just awful. I just hate it. Like it's so bad. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. It's yeah, it's like Non-script a Tig car. one, but without yeah the Volkswagen bit. But it's so bad that. You know, like on the aircon, you've got like the sync button to have both the passenger and the driver yeah. with the same temperature. The sync button works for the passenger side because it's designed for Europe. So it doesn't do anything for you? It's like, it's not even calibrated for the UK. <laughs> I absolutely hate that car. Is there also a bit of you, because it's got a seat badge in your Portuguese, you're like, oh, it's Spanish. <laughs> not really, but... So yeah. I'd say it's been wound up anyway at some point soon. Oh, yeah. Because it's all been turned into Cupra. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I think it doesn't have a place, really, does it? It used to be the fun 
yeah. version of the Volkswagens. And then they kind of went, well, we've got enough Volkswagens to last forever. Yeah. And then they made the Cupra the hot one of the Seat. So they went, right, we'll just get rid of the Seat one and have the Cupra. And then Skoda can be the cheap yeah. alternative to Volkswagen. Um, but it's, it's a shame because they did some funky, yeah, funky cars. And it's very interesting because when I was like when I was younger, at uni in Portugal, like if, just Ibiza's everywhere. It was. It really was. Like, and everyone loved the diesel ones. I remember. Oh god. Oh, the I one. Think, did they get the one nine TDI? Yeah. Because you could remap them to about three hundred brakes. I was going to say like I remember this, this video is somewhere on YouTube. So I studied automotive engineering, and there was a dyno. Yeah. At our at our uni in our building. And sometimes on the weekends they'll let the students bring their cars to be dynoed, like to show to people and stuff. And I just remember these videos. Someone took the Ibiza, like remapped to an inch of its life. And when they start running it, there's like these little chimney outside of the building. Just black. It's just like an octopus had just been there. Literally, this like huge, <laughs> like cloud of black smoke just takes over the parking lot i've never seen anything like it, it was disgusting it was a thing that they would program in though like they loved it a lot of the lads where i grew up had see it ibiza's remapped to yeah. that kind of thing and they're like yeah we want it to blow coal yeah. why you just look like an idiot in, in portugal diesels were a lot more common than here in the uk right because opposite to what happens here in the uk um diesel is a lot cheaper the pump the right, petrol. Okay. So you had a fuel that was a lot cheaper and the car was a lot cheaper to run as well. Um, so most people drive diesels even today. Yeah. So I grew up always owning diesels mostly and, and all of that. But yeah, people just loved remapping their cars. Well, they've all got turbos, so it makes it so much easier, yeah, I, I had my first car remapped with my, without my parents knowing. Well, didn't you say you had a Mini? Yeah. How did you have a Mini remapped? Was um, it a diesel? Yeah, Mini Cooper D. Oh, okay. And I had a, a friend. In my defence, it, it was always like he always did like remaps on the side when we were uni. In my defence, he got to work faster than Martin here in the UK. <laughs> he was doing a good job then. He was is generally very good, but at the time, like I got a proper parking lot remap, and I just remember my dad was like, "That car was quite nippy, wasn't it?" I was like, "Yeah, it's very fast. Yeah, just, such a small engine, but so fast." Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't know they built them like that. They still don't know about it. <laughs> Well, hopefully they don't hear this. Oh, they, they don't understand much English. Oh, you're, you're safe then. <laughs> I've been very tempted to have a, a sneaky little remap on our Skoda and not tell Grace. And just one day she comes home, the car feels very fast. I pulled out of that roundabout really quickly. But the, the trouble I always have when you think about it is how much is it going to affect the reliability of the car? Yeah. Like putting extra stress on internal components for a car that is used for commuting and traveling up and down the yeah. motorway I, I don't need it to be faster um like the 86 i'm i would consider getting it sorted to get rid of the torque dip and stuff like yeah. that but then i'm at 120,000 miles on that I'm like, yeah. if i start tinkering with it i'm just gonna blow it up and be fair these days here in the uk as well with all the average speed zones and everything you can't really go fast anywhere no but if you're on track days yeah which i do it every so often get get out on one um but the, the flip side of that is I'd probably rather just have a track-focused car yeah, rather than one that does both because you kind yeah, of... You're just always get... compromising somewhere, yeah. Yeah, whereas if you've had something that's really built for track, yeah. set up for track, on proper tyres for track, you'll enjoy the track day a lot more. I went out in a Mazda 2 Sport 
like race car mm-hmm. and that thing was so much fun because it was fully caged yeah. fully stripped out proper seats proper pedal box the the works whereas a normal Mazda 2 that's just taken on track is nowhere near as fun or as fast oh, yeah. or anything like that and then you worry about like crashing it or damaging it yeah I've got to drive home with this because <laughs> I, I try to do that um before I had the M3 I had the EP3 Type R yeah love the Countrack hated it on my commute yeah because I was doing the M40 and I was at like really high RPMs could barely hear the radio <laughs> and it just that car was only fun when you're driving it hard but on track it was perfect but like yeah. I just never really gelled with it mile an hour yeah it just wasn't fun and then I bought the M3 and that was really fun on the commute you would have been really fun on track but I was like now if I crash it I don't have a car to get to work yeah, yeah. so I never really tracked it how come you didn't just keep the P3 for track I just couldn't afford that many cars at the time yeah that's fair I partly exchanged it for the M3 I am I am at that point where I'm considering do I need an MX-5 track car <laughs> it's a good fun track car I know I'll keep it, saying I need to get one and it's rear wheel drive so you can have a lot of fun with that they are good and Pass they're popular cheap. well for now yeah <laughs> would you which one would you want I think I was looking was it the the second gen was second or third gen I was looking at so second gen was uh, when they first got rid of pop-ups yeah no pop-ups I think they ran those to about one, 2004 so it's got to be pre-2004 I think, I think that's what I was looking at and then the 2004 one is the one with the really round front bumper with the little fog light holes in it. Yeah, I think I'm looking second gen. So it'll be second think, gen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not tracking the cappuccino. No, that car's a lovely little thing. And it's Al sometimes says, like, wait, just track the cappuccino on track. <laughs> Blyton would be a good one for that, though, because that's quite a small track. So the cappuccino wouldn't feel like it was lost, like it would at, say, like Donington or Silverstone. I spent more money restoring that car than buying the M3. I'm not (laughs) crashing that car or damaging it in any way possible if I can avoid it. No, that's a very fair point, though. (laughs) Are you not really tempted just to take it around track once? I would, but... (laughs) It's that one time that it goes wrong. Yeah, no, yeah, it will be. And it's so much fun, like, around the B roads. Yeah. It just feels like driving a cart on the road well that's because it is it's the smallest thing you could possibly get really it feels terrifying next to other cars as well but it's so much fun so we were behind a dodge ram earlier which is a huge truck i have you come across anything like that while in the cappuccino yeah how scary is that well it's very scary because we had a friend driving like a similar truck i can't remember exactly what it was and i was in front of him we stopped at some service stations. and He couldn't see you. He come, he come, comes out of the truck, like, I don't know where you are, I can't see you. <laughs> so I'm terrified of trucks, lorries, yeah. anything too big. Because I'm actually, I'm like below the wheel arch on a lot of modern cars. Yeah. So I'm always terrified that they just can't see me. No, I, I can completely understand that fear. I had a Mini as my first car, but the old one. Mm. So you are below everyone's window line lorries just can't see you coming and you're in a tin can that has no yeah. structure oh yeah um uh, we went on a on a drive the other day Al was actually driving because he loves driving the cappuccino as well and there was some road work so they had like those temporary lights and there's a car in front of us and stop behind them and then this 
truck just comes out of the blue going way faster than he should. God. And you know, when you look at the mirror, it's like... He's not even seen us. He's, he's not stopping. He's not braking. He's not braking. And I'll kind of just like, just panic and move to the side because yeah. we really thought he was going to hit us. And if he had hit us, he'd just literally flatten us. We'd be dead. So there's no question. <laughs> so you're like, I'm only going to drive this on Sunday mornings when there's no other car Yeah, it's around. like terrifying. So we've got... The E46 that yep. may or may not still exist. Yeah, don't know. I hope it exists. The cappuccino, your company car, and then a motorbikes are the other thing, aren't they? Two motorbikes, yeah. So I don't know anything about motorbikes. So I have no reference for whatever you have. So I've got um, 1972 Honda CL175. So that's 175cc. It's an old bike. So it's not very fast then with it being oh, no, under 200. Not. Um, to put it in context, um, it's very tatty and everything, but that was always the, the idea of it because I was, I just bought that bike to do like Mali Mile. Is it Beach a dirt Mali. bike? It, not really. It right. has like knobbly tyres, but I drove it. It's not it. like a KTM crosser kind no, of. No, no, no. I, I rode it on sand and it was terrifying. <laughs> That's I, the Mali though, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was not good. <laughs> It was not fast either because it's a very heavy bike with a very small engine. Yeah. But I remember I was bringing it back from our friend's house to our unit and Al was in the car in front of me and probably two minutes in the journey, into the journey because it's an old bike, my speedometer just stopped working. <laughs> so it's just bouncing between 70 and 80. Right. I was like, I must be going fast then. Yeah. And I was like, the bike would not go any faster. I was like, literally like just pushing for it. And we got to the unit finally and... And I was like, oh, I don't know, how fast was I going? Oh, what speed were we doing? And I was like, 50. Didn't you see, like, the huge queue behind us? And I'm like, oh. oh. So he was matching your speed so that you were still together. Yeah. And you were holding up traffic. Yeah. I was like, that bike's supposed to do 86 miles an hour new. <laughs> yeah, 50 years ago. It's terrifying. So very, very slow, very tatty. Right. Is it good fun at least? Yeah. Right, okay. I love it. It's like bright orange as well so it looks right. ridiculous and then in about i think it was may just before we went to japan i bought, I bought a 2018 triumph thruxton r right so if you look at it you probably wouldn't be able to tell how old the bike is because it has like the kind of vintage type of fairings like a very round yeah headlight and everything it's beautiful i've rode it about four times this year because of the weather because of the weather. We've not had that bad of a weather. It's been terrible. <laughs> the thing you is... You didn't even get it out last week when it was like 35 degrees. Um, no, because we had that event and we were on holidays. But also, what I find with bikes in the UK, because once again, in Portugal I used to ride all the time. Come to the UK, it's either too cold or too hot. <laughs> and riding a motorbike in 30 degrees when you're wearing leathers and just So today sweating. it's 20 degrees, it's dry... It's overcast, so you're not in direct sunlight. Too cold. <laughs> so what you need is 25 degrees yes. and cloudy. And a breeze. And a breeze. Yes. <laughs> so you've got maybe a week in September where you can Basically, ride this bike. Yes. But we discussed this. I do, I actually, I used to ride in all weathers when I was in Oxford, when I was doing my, uh, my business degree, masters. It, it's funny because I had to commute between the plant and uni. Yeah. But student, you're not allowed to have a car. 
Why, at, at the uni? Yeah, not right. at that campus. So they don't give you any parking permits because Oxford is impossible to park anywhere else. Yeah, and it's a million pounds to park in this anywhere. So the only place, the only way I had of getting to uni, because the bus didn't really run from the plant often enough, was buying a motorbike. So I had to ride winter in snow, like in all kinds of weather. Yeah. I didn't have a, a choice, really. But recently, like, because I started developing Raynaud's on my fingers and stuff, it just becomes so uncomfortable to ride in anything that's not Yeah, and Raynaud's warm. is such a horrible one to, to have to manage as well. A, a cousin of mine grew up with her, quite bad. Like, her hands were just cold yeah. constantly. And it was just a nightmare all the time. And I think the inverse is if you warm it up too quick, yeah. you just end up... Like, you're quite numb, but your body is reacting to a huge yeah, temperature change. Yeah, the thermal shock. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it, like, because I... Sometimes I can't really control the bike properly if I can't really use my fingers. If you can't feel your hand. Yeah, and <laughs> I get on my feet as well. And it's painful when you finish your ride and you just want to warm up. And and I don't even get it just because of the weather. So I get it from the vibrations of the bike. I get it with change of temperature, even driving my car. Right. After day of work, if I'm a bit anxious or stressed about something, I'll get it on my fingers. It's just God. a bit annoying. It sounds like a pain in the ass, to be fair. It is, yeah. Pain on the hands, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, the way you say hands there is <laughs> quite close to how I say ass. <laughs> so it works quite well as a, a play on the words. Um, so we've, we've smashed through the hour mark, which is a really nice point to kind of reach. Because um, I've found every so often I have to carry a conversation to the hour and it's been quite an easy one to get to an hour so that's very nice thank you very much I've not had to do much work apart from when you had Al and you just ranted for so Al and I are very similar in how our brains work (laughs) and we can jump through tangents like there's no tomorrow so we went for lunch before we sat to record this Al and I were just sharing very obscure (laughs) pop culture facts and you and Grace were like well, how it's can like, you two know this much random crap but not know really important things? Like, he wouldn't well, know what he had for dinner last night, but yeah. he will know about a show that he watched Yeah, like, I was like, oh, ago. wasn't the, wait, the butler in that film this guy? And he was like, no, it was this guy from this film. And we just went down these little yeah. rabbit holes of who this person was. And you two were sat there like the grown-ups that you are, like, this is all useless. Why do you know this much information about useless, like, just crap? Because so, that's the stuff that our brains hold on to and all the important stuff just... You you adults will figure that out for us. It'll be all right. Um, but no, it's, it's been a real pleasure. So thank you so much for sitting down and chatting and sharing thank some Thank you stories. for having me. It's been great. And hopefully your uh, introvertedness hasn't been too anxiety-induced. No, it's been absolutely fine. Lovely. Well, I'm going to stop recording now. So thank you very much. Thank you.